Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Interest rates could rise to 8%. So how can savers find the best deals now? Absolute return funds are not producing an absolute return for investors. So are any of the funds worth it? And lenders are making it harder to get a mortgage if you live near a commercial property. We look at the best deals out there. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Alice Ross, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. Tanya Paley. Hi. Ellen Kelleher. Hello. And our special studio guest, Justin Modre of CandidMoney.com. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, think tank The Policy Exchange warned that interest rates could reach 8% in two years' time if the government has to control spiralling inflation. Bank of England base rates are still at a low of 0.5%, making it almost impossible for savers to get a real rate of return in a savings account. Some savers are wary of locking into a low-paying deal if rates do rise. But some banks are now offering products with flexible savings rates that will rise over time. Steve, a flexible savings rate looks like a good idea if rates are going to rise to 8%, doesn't it? Uh, well, Alice, we all want flexible savings rates, if by which you mean that rates that go up. I mean, an instant access account at best will do that, of course. Uh, the trouble with having your money in an instant access account at the moment is that the rates are very low. Mm. And the fear is that when base rates do eventually start uh, going up, probably sometime next year, that banks will be reluctant to pass on rate rises to these accounts where they have the discretion. So there is a sort of new breed of accounts out there, typically called things like tracker accounts or stepped rate accounts, which as the name suggests, track or step, step up in this case. So they only really go up uh, depending on certain criteria. Because one of the problems with savings accounts at the moment is that to get the best deal, you often have to lock up your money for a year plus, don't you? So if people are worried about rates rising, then you don't want to have your money locked up in a low paying deal. Well, yes, fixed rates offer a higher return, um, but the catch is normally you can't get your money out. Now, that's the case with some of the stepped rate accounts as well and tracker accounts. So you do need to sort of scrutinise the detail. But there are two accounts that analysts think are pretty good that are out there at the moment. One's from State Bank of India, which is fully protected like any high street bank, up to 50,000 quid. Um, and that offers stepped rates over five years up to 5.75, but it offers the additional attraction, if you like, of being able to get your money out after a year, in, after two years, three years, and four years. So if something better comes along, you could always get your money out and earn a decent return along the way. There's also a deal for primarily for Santander's existing customers, but 
that involves a lot of people nowadays. Santander is one of the biggest banks on the high streets. Um, that tracks the base rate, gives a pay rate of 3% um, at start. Last one year, if base rate goes up, so does your rate automatically. So in both cases, while you're giving up a little bit in term compared to the comparable fixed rates, um, you're getting these extra features, these these potential benefits if base rates do go up. So it's kind of a hedging your bets opportunity. And how common is it that, that some of these products will allow you to get out early without paying a penalty? Is it still that a penalty is the default um, levied by the providers? With fixed rate bonds, it's almost universal. Um, so with standard fixed rate bonds where you pay exactly the same rates every year, with some of these steps rates accounts, again, you're tied in. You're tied in with the Santander tracker bond I mentioned, but that's only for a year. Um, in the case of the State Bank of India product, you can get out on three separate occasions apart from at maturity. Mm-hmm. So it really does depend, and you do need to sort of scrutinise things because if you are tied in, as a rate that goes up a step to rate, um, if you're tied in for that period, then what you really need to do is simply work out the average rates, compare that with the fixed rates that you could get, the standard fixed rate you could get, and go for whichever rate's higher in terms of getting the best overall return. And just finally, how likely is it that rates will go up to 8%? Do we think that's a realistic possibility? Well, this headline um, that rates might go up to 8% in two years because of a sort of resurgence of high inflation, I think is at the extreme end of predictions. Most analysts, economists expect rates to start going up sometime next year. Um, But the real question is, not really when they start to go up, but the pace at which they go up. And as you, you, know, you mentioned, 8%, I think it's unlikely we'll go there. But but many analysts and economists think that we will see quite a sharp rise. So you might see a mm. 0.5% and so on. And so people do really have this dilemma of, I've got a low rate now, uh, a low savings rate now, or a tie-in. And if I tie in, the danger with tying in, of course, to rates of about 4% is that if rates do go up to 8%, there's a good chance to be something better out there and you'll be tied into an uncompetitive return. Mm. So definitely worth looking at one of these deals. Uh, thanks for that, Steve. And for more on savings deals and how to find a rate that only goes up, look out for Steve's article in this weekend's FT Money with the Weekend FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, how to get a mortgage if you live on a high street. First, though, absolute return funds. This week, the Investment Management Association said it had decided not to change the way it defines absolute return funds. It had considered splitting the funds into different sectors because the way they invest is so different. While all of them aim to give investors a return in all market conditions, they have very different investment strategies. However, FT Money has found that, in addition to having confusing investment strategies, the funds are not all producing an absolute return either. Ellen, you've been looking at absolute return funds this week. Are they doing what they say on the tin? Well, some of them are and some of them aren't. Uh, and I would say that more of them aren't than more of them are. Uh, I mean, Justin was terrific in sort of providing some research to FT Money earlier in the week, um, which suggested that uh, more than half of uh, the returns of absolute return funds were negative in the last year. Uh, which is quite disappointing for investors who think that they're going to get a positive return even in a bad market. Uh, but there are so many different types of absolute return funds. Isn't that true, Justin? Yeah, that's true, Alan. I mean, I, I think the problem here is that investors see absolute return and they probably quite rightly expect they're going to get what's on the tin. Right? They're going to make money come what may. Um, and that generally is the aim of these funds, but they are so various. I mean, some, for example, invest in corporate bonds. 
Um, others tend to invest in stock markets. Some use currencies and so forth. Um, the underlying trend of all these funds is basically they can bet on both rising and falling markets. So whether it's shares, currency, bonds, um, they can make money when these fall. But of course, it comes back to the same age-old problem. There's a fund manager behind this who actually has to make bets and try and predict what's going to happen. Um, and basically, they've got to take a view whether things are going to go up or, or things are going to go down. Um, you tend to find that the funds that have been successful, ones where managers have generally got that right more times than not, um, but the funds that have gone drastically wrong, and there are a few, and one's lost, for example, nearly 18% this year, um, have basically made a bet the wrong way, and they've got it quite wrong. So really, it's very similar to, you know, to, to traditional funds that some managers succeed, some don't, and you know, absolute return is no different. Um, and the key for an investor is really trying to understand what's going on under the bonnet. It's quite difficult. Um, but if you don't take the time to do that, you could get your fingers burnt and buy something that's quite different, perhaps, to what, what you're expecting to get. And, do, I mean, would you approve of the IMA looking to change the definition of the sector? I kind of mixed feelings on that. I mean, on the one hand, I think you know, they've got a, a one-size-fits-all sector at the moment that can be quite confusing. Um, you, you, know, you could buy something not realising what you're getting. Um, but because these funds vary quite widely, you could end up having lots of tiny sectors actually becomes more bother than it's worth. I mean, you may have sectors, for example, with half a dozen funds in it, and that doesn't really work for anyone. Um, so while it's a good idea, I think until we see a lot more in the way of absolute return funds um, and you get the sort of enough scale to make it worthwhile, um, I just don't think it's worth doing. And the performance fees can be very high. I mean, you have, in some cases, hedge fund-style performance fees that are being tacked onto these oh, funds. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, I think they're actually bordering on criminal in some... Well, maybe not criminal, but they're, they're really steep. I mean, fund managers are taking their standard fees, often about 1.5%, um, and then they're taking about a fifth of all the money they make on top of that. Um, and so if a fund returns, say, 10% before charges, you could find the managers taking over 3% in charges. And to me, that, that really is daylight robbery. Uh, so, Justin, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's clear who's made profits here. It's the managers, as usual, isn't it? Not the investors. It, it is, and sadly, the managers are taking their money come what may. So, the manager's fee doesn't depend on absolute returns. I mean, if they make some money, they owe more, but they take their their standard fee of one and a half percent, typically, whatever happens. Um, so, the poor investor as ever ends up losing out if, if things go wrong. Nonetheless, there does seem to be demand from investors for something that gives you an absolute return, which is um, obvious enough to understand, you know, nobody wants to lose their money. But if these absolute return funds aren't working, they're charging high fees, Mm -hmm. are there any alternatives if you want an absolute return? Um, There there is to an extent. If you've got to get quite complex, you can actually do some of the underlying bets yourself. For example, you can use an ETF to bet that markets are going to fall. Um, Or more more simply, perhaps, you can actually spread your money across lots of different investments. I mean, Steve was talking about cash earlier. Cash is important, but maybe you want to have bonds, shares, commodities, property. Um, It doesn't guarantee you won't lose money, but the wider you can spread your investment portfolio, the the lower, if you like, the risk of losing or of everything going down all at the same time. Um, So it does provide some protection. Mm, So a DIY approach might be better than relying on a fund manager in this instance. Maybe not better, but certainly... It's, an, it's another option to look at and choose the absolute return manager very, very carefully because you know, quite a few are failing. Mm. Okay, thanks for that, Justin and Ellen. And for full details of how absolute return funds invest, read Ellen's article in the FT Money section this weekend and on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, mortgages. Banks have been turning down mortgage applications on properties above a shop or restaurant for some time. Lenders say that the noise and smell coming from some commercial outlets can harm the marketability of a property, making them less willing to lend against it. But now they are also refusing to extend credit to homeowners who are simply near a commercial premise, even if they are not in the same building. One FT money reader was refused credit because he lived next door to a butcher. Tanya, does this seem fair? How do the lenders justify this? 
Well, it's largely just down to the fact of um, what is the marketability of of the property in question. I think they feel that any property um, that is actually next door to, say, a commercial premise like a um, takeaway restaurant or a pub is actually going to affect its sellability in the future because purchasers in general are less likely to be inclined to actually buy a property that you know might have kind of noise nuisances or smell pollution that type of thing mm. but i mean this is a relatively new thing as as we understand it. they used to um not lend if you were just in the same building as a commercial premise but now it's even if you're nearby so i think it's another effect of the credit country really because um yes they were always like a bit sort of um they weren't very keen on lending on properties that were above um, commercial premises but now they seem to be even less keen on those that are actually just nearby so adjacent to or even opposite I think it's just a sign that they're really just risk averse and they, um, they're just a bit scared of actually anything that could possibly lose them money in the future mm. um, I think it tends to vary between the different lenders um, we, I've spoken to quite a lot of lenders this week just to see what their policies on lending near commercial premises, premises are and you have play, play, players like HBOS, Barclays, um, Yorkshire Building Society they all claim they don't have a specific policy against this but they do say it depends on what the surveyor um, comes back and says to them so it's basically done on a case-by-case basis. I think, for example, with the case of a butcher's, um, if a butcher is basically, you know, having all its carcasses out in the backyard and there's also the sight of having to see that as well as the smell, that's going to put off any purchaser in the future. So they're going to definitely be less inclined to to want to lend on that type of property. Mm. Steve? Uh, Tanya, how near is near? Because I used to remember in the old days that estate agents would sort of sell flats to yuppies on the basis of it's near to all the nightlife and so on. So actually being next to the pub you know, was potentially attraction for well, the likes yes, of me when I was young. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I think it does. Do, again, it depends on what the um, what these lenders' policies are and what the what the surveyor says. I think nearby for them typically tends to be next to or just maybe like even two or three doors down. It can still actually affect it. So it's quite hard. If you think about in the London high streets, um, there's going to be lots of quite nice prime properties that are actually on the high street, which you know quite attractive locations, but lenders aren't going to be that keen. Mm. But if you do uh, own one of these properties or you are trying to mortgage it and you are on the high street, some lenders seem to be willing to be more flexible than others, I think you found out. Um, that's It's not necessarily the case, actually. Um, the problem, it's always best to go back to the lender that actually offered you the mortgage in the first place because obviously they've already shown that they're um, prepared to lend on this. But there have been cases that brokers have cited to me where actually um, they've had uh, clients come up to them and say, um, I can't get remortgaged now on this property Um and it's basically because there's been like a Chinese restaurant next door and a pub nearby. So that's where it kind of proves a bit difficult. I think the best thing is to go to a broker because they tend to be the ones that actually know uh, which lender is more likely to be able to lend to these type of properties. Um, also, it's best to look at quite a few of the smaller building societies because a lot of the large banks are really worried about um, risk at the moment. And I think the smaller building societies tend to take a bit more of a underwriting case-by-case basis rather than this whole computer says no. <laughs> so it's always best to go to them um, or there's also these other lenders like such as Aldermore and iGroup, which tend to, they kind of market themselves as the lenders that are prepared to basically um, look at properties that the high street banks are rejecting. Mm. So they're more likely probably to actually um, look at your case properly and, and not reject it, you know, out of hand, first of all. For slightly more money, though, maybe. Possibly, yes. I think <laughs> probably higher rates are going to be in play. Okay, so worth checking with a broker first. Thanks very much for that, Tanya. And if you'd like to know more about getting a mortgage next to a commercial property, look out for Tanya's article in FT Money this weekend.
But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve, Tanya, Ellen and our special guest, Justin Modrey from candidmoney.com. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.